Now then, welcome back, Saddos, to yet another episode of the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive. I'm Eggs Benedict. And I'm Alison Barton-Simmons. And our raison d'etre in this podcast... <laughs> well, not in... Yeah, it's a bit grandiose, that. Not in life. But for, for, for the purposes of this podcast, our raison d'etre is to pull apart every episode ever made of The Good Life and discuss what we loved about it, discuss what we didn't like about it, have a look at the fashions, have a look at the performances of the main players, and just generally have fun deconstructing every episode ever made of one of the best sitcoms Britain's ever produced. It certainly is. And we are a we are a watch-along po- podcast, so you can dip in and watch the corresponding episode of The Good Life and then listen to us talk about it. You can watch episodes on Daily Motion um, online, or you can go the traditional route of getting the DVDs. Um, and I think you can get them on BritBox as well. Yes, apparently it's just started being shown in America on BritBox, which it wasn't previously. That's good news, because it'll be um, Good Neighbours, won't it, rather than The Good Life. Yes. Although I noticed this week that on IMDb, where it's always been listed as Good Neighbours, it's changed to The Good Life. Well, maybe it is The Good Life then in, in the States this time. Well, maybe they've just abandoned it, because the reason it wasn't called The Good Life originally was because of some obscure programme in the early 70s, and I doubt anyone even remembers it anymore. Yeah. So maybe they've just gone back to the original title. It's just taken precedence, maybe, now. Enough of um, enough of Britbox minutia. <laughs> this week's episode that we're going to deep dive is called Sweet and Sour Charity. It's the penultimate episode of Series 4, um, so there's only one more left after this episode in Series 4. Did you like this one? I did enjoy this one. Yeah, I did. I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm sort of anticipating um, the end, so it's making me feel a bit sad, to be honest. Yeah, there's a little bit of... Um, as we've said in previous weeks, there's a little bit of desperation in the writing in terms mm. of scenarios. It's still brilliant writing, don't get don't get me wrong, but mm. the scenarios that they're coming up with for the goods is a little bit contrived. And it is, I think it was this week as well. Yeah, considering that though, the the um, the watchers um, for this episode back in May 1977 was 15 million still, which is not the height mm. of um, the the. Watchership? What's it? No, the audience. Watchership? <laughs> Watchership. Watchership. <laughs> audience. So to get an audience of 15 million um, when you were sort of tailing off in a series is would be huge today, wouldn't it? Yeah. It still didn't quite meet the, the heady heights of, of 16.8, 17 million that it was in, in, in the middle of the of the series. But to still get 15 million towards the end, I think, is, is a testament to the writing and the acting, obviously. Before we get stuck into this episode, Sweet and Sour Charity, shall we have another game of Bruce Forsyth's Higher or Lower, my love? I'd love that. Yes, please. Watch your chin, though. <laughs> Don't throw your chin out, Ben. <laughs> I won't. I'll try not to. Bruce is back with another Higher or Lower. It's loosely on Play Your Card Right. Can I'll guess who's got the most on IMDb? Or will she perform just like dog shines? <laughs> oh, I cannot wait to hear that, actually, <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> All right, my love. We've got another game of higher or lower, which is loosely based, of course, on 
play cards right with Bruce Forsyth. Forsyth or Forsyth? Oh, for I'm all for Forsyth. Bruce Forsyth. Oh no, no, I'm not. I'm for the for the for the first first one. Well, he's dead, so we'll never know now. So um, <laughs> this week, instead of looking at the relative cost of things with inflation factored in, mm-hmm. we're going to play a different form of higher or lower. And you'll have to imagine that I've got cards with the um, with pictures of the of the main members of the Good Life. Okay. You know, like Jack Green yeah. King, that type yes. of thing. So we're going to start off. We'll turn over this card, this this imaginary card. Oh, Hold up this yeah, piece of paper. I can see it. As I turn it round, my love, you've got a Richard Briers. <laughs> so what we need you to what we need to not really thought this through, have I? I don't really understand the concept yet. I don't know what no, I'm supposed to be I'm doing. I'm not explained it, have I? <laughs> Is it like subjective guess who or I've just got to just name who I think's better? You'll you'll pick up on this, honestly. Okay. So Richard Briers, who is your first card, he has 145 acting credits on IMDb. Oh. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now then, the next card is Felicity Kendall. Now, would you say Felicity Kendall has less acting credits or more acting credits than Richard Briers on IMDb? Put those fingers away. You don't go on the keyboard for this one. <laughs> you just have to have a guess whether um, Felicity has got higher or lower than Richard Briers in terms of IMDb credits for acting. Acting alone, mind. I think Felicity Kendall has less acting credits on IMDb. So you're going lower? I'm going to go lower. Lower. <laughs> Well done, my love. Didn't Aww. she do well? That's correct. Because Felicity Kendall only has 39 acting credits. Really? Really oh, I didn't low, think it would be it? that much lower. Yeah, a lot lower. Um, I don't know what she's been up to. All, all these affairs she's been having probably haven't given her enough time to make. It must take up a lot of time. Yeah, it must do. So there we go. So there you go. you got one point, And what do points make? Prizes. Fuck all in this game, I'm afraid. <laughs> but you've made a good start. Next up, your next card after Felicity Kendall is Paul Eddington. Okay. Now, do you think Paul Eddington has higher or lower than Felicity Kendall's 39 acting credits? I am uh, I'm purely basing it at the moment on age. Yeah. And I think Paul Eddington is quite a little bit older than Felicity Kendall. But of course so he that- did die. Before she did. did. Well, she's still going, of course. Mm. I don't want to panic anyone. She's still very much alive and well. I think, though, that he was did quite a lot of stage stuff. I'm going to go higher. I'm going to go Paul Eddington is higher than Felicity Kendall. <laughs> you were such a good contestant, even better than last week. Because Aww. you've got it right. It's Excellent. Ninety-seven acting credits for Paul Eddington, which okay. is quite a lot, isn't it? That it is, because of course these things on IMDb don't count all of these various um, on-stage roles that they've had. It's right, just okay. screen acting. Right. I should have probably made that clear, but there you go. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> all right, I'm a judge. <laughs> as Brucey used to say, I believe, when I looked at all his catchphrases this afternoon. Here they are. They're so appealing. Come on, dollies. Do your dealing. The last card 
for you is Penelope Keith, of course. Oh, nice. Dame Penelope Keith. Does she have... Oh, I... I think that Penelope Keith... I'm going to say lower. Lower than Paul Ennington? Yes. I don't believe it. You've you've done it. Hey, I've swept the board. You have absolutely nailed it. You, you're such a good con- contestant. You've won higher or lower with Bruce Forsyth. Forsyth, Forsyth. Excellent. Um, and I really am like shocked for words because I didn't expect <laughs> to get them all right. I don't know what to say. Wow. Oh. Well done, Al. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's that all I need. I don't need a. I don't. I don't need a prize. That's just good the, game. Good game. That's it. That that's prize enough. <laughs> Shall we have a look at um, sweet and sour charity then? Because let's my, do that. My, I'll throw my neck out again. Do yeah. you, Brucey? <laughs> Before you need a chiropractor, let's uh, let's yeah. get stuck in. Good, good life. 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 This one starts with Jerry eating chips out of a newspaper. It's not very Jerry, that is it. Well I, well, I don't know. It seems like it is very Jerry when Margaret's not Jerry. to catch him. Yeah. It is it's secret Jerry, isn't it? It's up there with wafting Bindaloos around the living room and a copy of Razzle, isn't it? The only thing that would make it better for me was would be if he was eating chips out of Playboy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a corn of Playboy. As long as he hadn't left any other fluids in there. Yeah. <laughs> what a greasy mess. Oh, mayonnaise, no. Oh, the goods pop round, and Margot transpires out at the music society meeting, which of course is why Jerry is eating chips out of his newspaper because yes. he's free to do what he wants when the trouble and strife isn't home. <laughs> and what the goods have popped in for is that they're trading eggs for coffee. Yeah, they they are they swapping it with Margot, or are they swapping it with somebody else? I would assume so. I I would assume that basically Margot is being charitable and buying mm. them coffee. When she probably doesn't even need their eggs. She could buy her eggs from bloody Fortnum and Masons or whatever. Yeah. So the good state stay after um, trading their eggs for coffee. And Jerry explains he's still angling for Sir's job as Sir's retirement is imminent and it grows ever nearer. But there's still this sort of um, will he, won't he storyline going on yes. about whether he'll get this job ahead of the creepy, crawly... Um, Snedderton, Booth Maddox, ex-husband. Yeah, because he's apparently doing lots of extra hours, which Jerry sees as crawling, doesn't he? He sees that as um, as too much. Pop kettle black. Yeah. Yeah, Jerry's taking a step back. What he's doing is, is as he explains, is reverse crawling, doing yeah. less hours to prove he doesn't need to work as much to get the job done. Oh, it's now, a dangerous game, I think, isn't it? It's a dangerous game if you want the boss's job. Do you think he's perhaps working just in his study so he's actually d- doing more hours but looking like he's doing less hours? Oh, see, that's what I hate about office work, working in an office. It's that having to appear to be doing something so that somebody sees you doing it and then gives you recognition for it. Mm. The work- most stressful thing is when you've got a job where you've got nothing to do but you need to look busy. Mm. It I all gets that. a bit political, doesn't it? I had a new job over here where I had to, I got taken on and then the, the in the government department and the government changed in between me being offered yeah. the job and me starting the job. So all the project money froze and I had oh, to no. just sit there at a desk pretending to look busy 
and the, and the, the monitor was facing out into the office. Oh no! So it was a nightmare for about six weeks, and then the bloke left, and I, he had a nice little corner spot. And I thought, fucking having that, I'll have that. Yeah. And I, was, and I was playing solitaire all day after. Yeah, just minesweeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's probably what Jerry would be doing if he was still in the office. I think he would. Yeah. Bizarrely, Jerry's tactics for landing this this sought after position is to prove that Snetterton has had a nose job. I can't even say it without laughing. It's such a strange sort of premise, isn't it, that that would put Sir off off giving Snetterton the job. Yeah. (laughs) Because, of course, Tom reckons he'd get the job if he's still there, which is clear clear bullshit. Um, And then the front door goes and they all panic and pull coasters and placemats under their saucers before Margot enters because they know what she'd say. Oh, yes. And she comes in sort of looking furious, but then her, her face lights up when she sees the goods. I, I, I always just think when she smiles, she looks beautiful, Penelope. She does, and it's very sincere, isn't it? I think she she can't she can't smile without looking sincere. I don't think when she really means it. Yeah, and then of course Margot is immediately on the, the Snetterton case. She's inquiring about Snetterton's bugle. Then oh. she wants to know if the, this premise that if they can prove that the hooter is cosmetic. Jerry's a shoe in for the job. It's a strange, strange sort of tactic, isn't it? Because she says, did you manage to dig anything up on Snetterton's nose? And Jerry says, nothing concrete. And then Tom's line really made me laugh because he said, I thought you said it was plastic. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was, it was genius. Genius writing. Did it almost make you want to go back and watch the last one to have a bit of an inspection of Philip Maddox's yeah, nose? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember him having a, having such a nose. Well, let's break this down, though, right? If you work there and you've been working there a long time and then suddenly you turn up with a different-looking nose, everyone's going to know, aren't they? It's quite obvious. Yes. I don't think... You, it's not something... And I can imagine in the 70s, it's not something that you would need to guess at. I think it would be quite obvious. you think it would be just like um, the episode of Friends where he had a cosmetic <laughs> penis. <laughs> it just dropped off during an audition. Yes, it would. And it would just... Yeah. You'd be able to tell, I think. <laughs> It's like a lump of clay on the end of his face. It was a fake nose, yeah. This is obviously Jerry's desperate because this is the means by which he thinks he's going to get Sir's job. Yes. It quickly comes to light that Margot has been usurped in her desire to enforce the Surbiton Dramatic Society to do The Merry Widow. Yes. In favour of Sweet Charity, which she describes as vulgar, debased and thoroughly nasty. Sweet charity is vulgar, debased, and thoroughly nasty. <laughs> Margot. It is. How can it be anything else when the heroine is a dance hall hostess who is little more than a common tart? <laughs> She's got definite opinions on this show. Yeah, I don't I don't I'm not a musical guy, so I didn't know anything about sweet charity. I did look it up and discover mm. what it was about. But it didn't seem like she was from the synopsis I read on Wikipedia that it was wholly immoral or that controversial. I don't think so. I think she's she's just um, got a bit of a bee in a bonnet that it's just not her choice. That's the issue. But unfortunately, democracy has has her outvoted by a number of 68 to 1. Yeah, that is a pretty firm, firm decision, <laughs> I think. Yeah. That's probably why she's so pissed off, because she can usually politic her way out of things. But with such a minority of just herself, she's got no one to manipulate. No, exactly. She doesn't like that. She likes being sort of the queen bee, doesn't she? She likes being the one that has the the voice and the backing as well to support it. And she's just not in this case. No. But they're trying to placate her, I think, by offering her the part of charity. Yeah. 
Because she's obviously, they want to keep her sweet for whatever reasons they might have. Maybe it's because Jerry writes checks. I think it's probably monetary, isn't it? Yeah, it must be. I mean, why would you put up with her otherwise? A dom- <laughs> yeah. domineering woman. Tom suggests that perhaps Margot can clean up the character of Charity by making her a ballroom dance teacher. And this spurs off into Jerry saying that he's a leg man. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, I'm more of a leg man. And then he starts an anecdote that Margot sort of cuts him off on. Yes. Do you think there's like a female equivalent of the... Because even to this day, even in this day where it's chauvinism, sexism is largely frowned on, you still get people saying, yeah, you're a, a breast or a leg man, don't you? But is yeah. there a female equivalent? Is there a female equivalent? A leg woman? If Would a friend ever say to you, are you more of a, like a, a pex or a thigh man? Or a bicep man? I don't know. Man? I don't know. I'd, my friends don't say things like that no. to me. Fair no. enough. No. You're not um, a character in the fat slags in the vis. Um, <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think I don't know. I don't, uh, no, I don't think I don't know if there is an equivalent. Maybe there is, and I'm just missing it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, so, yeah, I don't move in them circles either. Although I was asked fairly recently if I was a breast or a leg man, and okay. I said I, I prefer vaginas to be honest. <laughs> and he said, "Well, I'm sorry, sir, but we don't serve them at KFC." <laughs> <laughs> oh. Bucket of chicken vaginas. Oh, <laughs> with a crusty crumb. Well, thank you very much, Jerry. The goods are actually also after some paper from the, from the Lerdbetters um, yes. to line the pig's bedding, aren't they? They are. And I thought it was quite amusing at the end of the scene where Margot won't let them take a, a, a particular newspaper because it had a story about the royal family in it, therefore it wasn't to be used for pig bedding. <laughs> not suitable for pigs to lie on. No, no, absolutely not. She would be mortified. And then we get the shock news that Mrs. Weaver's left. That was quick. She weren't there for very long, was she? They can't have... They, they must have been renting because... Mm. Imagine getting a mortgage and then just stopping about for six months. Well, it's, perhaps she's just upwardly mobile in the world. And now Surbiton's beneath her with a Thatcher-esque voice. Maybe. Maybe she won the pools. Won the pools and shot off elsewhere. So Tom's immediately in scrounge mode, isn't he? Because he eyes up this sort of 200 gallons of oil that Mrs. Weaver's left in her tank that he can see. Yeah. In her garden. He was straight on it, weren't he? Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, I didn't blame him. Mm. I mean, I'm actually on Tom's side here because she's left. She can't take it with her. And the likelihood is it wasn't part of the house sale. That's true. However, it probably does have quite a, a high monetary value. Mm. And he doesn't know whether it's been promised as part of the, the sale to the, the new buyers. Well, this is true because when he lays out his plan to Barbara that he's going to nick the oil to trade for straw with Mr. Yes. Green, whoever Mr. Green is, mm-hmm. um, this, this very much creates a moral conundrum between the goods because Barbara... Yeah. She's just not having it, is she? She's called Thomas Spiv. Yeah, yeah, sort of sees it as stealing, doesn't she, straight away? Yeah, I, I can see where she's coming from as well, but basically she's aghast at the idea of theft mm. and she sort of tries to distract Tom, almost shag him out of his idea, basically. I've got another idea instead. Ooh, yeah, cow yeah eyes forget about it. that, cow eyes, exactly, exactly. But she she's aware that they'd know that they'd stolen it and that yeah. doesn't sit right with her. Yes. So uh, back over at the Leadbetters, Miss Mountshaft's brother-in-law with a steel plate <laughs> in his head. I love this character that you never see. 
Yeah, I kind of wish we did see him. I know. Let's see how chrome-headed he looks. <laughs> he's turned up and he's dropped off the costume designs off-screen with Margot. And predictably, Margot is unhappy with all the slits and frills and plunging necklines. Costumes like these are fit only for some back-alley striptease club. <laughs> They're just dresses. These dresses? Slits and frills and plunging necklines. Dustbin designs. <laughs> and from a dustbin mine. It's that steel plate, I think. It's making it fun. Oh, sequins, stockings. It's a whole sort of thing, in it, that she's, she's very much against. Oh, dear. But Jerry's eyes light up, don't they? At the thought of, um, I think, Margot even, even sort of trying on anything like this. It's the black stockings that have got him... All excited, isn't it? They have. Absolutely they have. Um, but Margot is insistent that it's a peculiar fantasy that he's got. That the idea of her playing the tart is sinister, Jerry. It's just sinister. She even calls him a pervert and says he needs to see a doctor. <laughs> yes. Poor Jerry. All he wants to do is see his missus in a pair of stockings. I know. It is a shame. It really is a shame that he's yeah, he's being he- sort of ridiculed and made to feel like some kind of Strange, weird reprobate, yeah, just mm. because he likes stockings. But it made me laugh when he went on a big sort of rant against the invention of tights. Yeah, he's just like, damn those tights. <laughs> I suppose for 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 women, the introduction of tights was like a liberating thing because it makes life a lot easier. But for men and partners, perhaps not so much. Do you think it was a real big thing in the seventies, whereby stockings used to be something that men really were turned on at pie and all yeah. the wives had them. And then all of a sudden it was tights with ladders in. Tights are just... Blotchy yeah, legs they, underneath. They're not attractive at all, I don't think, tights. Especially to, tan tights. To look at and to, to wear. The, 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 when the, you've got like a sagging gusset when you're walking down the street and you know that your tights are nearly round your knees like MC Hammer. It's not... <laughs> It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't set you up to feel sexy or look sexy. I don't think. No, nah, you can't touch this, and no, nor would you want to. No, you can't. You cannot touch this. <laughs> Did you actually clock the designs on the paper that Margot was looking through? Briefly, yes, I did. They look like something like Esmond and Larby's kids had done. They've gone. So, oh, we yeah. need some designs. Yeah. yeah, kids, gather around. Because <laughs> they Draw were just this. awful, weren't they? Yeah, they were. They were. But I think Jerry wants to convince Margot to take the part of charity because not just because he wants to see him in stockings, but because he knows that she's not a stay-on-the-sidelines type of person. She has to be front and centre, and it will make her happy, ultimately. And he sort of tries to convince her to do it. Probably also he thinks he'll get an easier life if she's going out for practice and he can have a vindaloo and a dirty magazine on the go. And exactly. The new Seekers. <laughs> I just can't help but laugh when I think of him dancing <laughs> to the new Seekers. Yeah, I made a dancing. gif of it the other day. Oh, it is. Yeah, it was. It was. It was such a cute scene that. But I, yeah, I do agree. I think Margot, um, she's not going to be happy sitting and watching somebody else take the lead, regardless of what that lead is. Mm. He knows that once this all starts, she will not be happy to to just sit in the background. She will want to be there with that yeah. part. Yes, definitely. And he loves her and he wants her to be happy. And it's exactly. it's very sweet, really. Mm. But in the next scene, we see Margot relaying the argument that she's just had with Jerry to Barbara. Yes. And Barbara's gently convincing Margot that stockings are perfectly fine to wear to titillate her husband 
and there's no sort of perversion or shame. Exactly. Uh, something that you would expect Margot should really know. Um, she, this is, bear in mind, this is a woman of 33 or something. Yeah. Not, a, not, not an old lady. And she was born after the war. It just strikes me as so old school uh, prudishness. Yeah. It makes you wonder whether Margot just gets caught up in these beliefs and this ideology that she sort of sets herself out. And she does it to herself. She sets up this this ideology that she is conservative and right-thinking and sensible. And it sort of overshadows all all parts of her life sometimes mm. where you think you could just relax a little bit on certain things and still have the same sort of like morals and ideas that you have, but you could just let some things go a little bit. Have a bit of fun, Margot. Bloody hell. Exactly. It becomes a bit all-encompassing sometimes, and I think she forgets. And I think having Barbara as a friend to remind her, that's a a great thing. And I think it's. I quite like that conversation between the two, where Margot is just being reminded that she she is a female, she is human, and she's allowed to have a bit of fun. Yeah. Barbara then summarily dismisses Margot because she's busy. She said, I've told you my opinion. Take it or leave it. Now, yeah. pit, now bugger off, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With your bloody upper-class problems that aren't really problems. Just go and buy some stockings and yeah. take the leg over. <laughs> and then on her way out, Tom comes in and says, Hello, Margot, you look nice. <laughs> to which she replies, You've got one trap minds. <laughs> oh, poor Tom. He's only he's only trying to be lovely, isn't he? Yeah, he wasn't being... um creepy the way he sometimes no, is he was just pa- paying her a compliment but of course tom is is only re- briefly distracted from his real obsession it's similar to when he had the obsession about the spinning wheel a couple of episodes ago he's now just banging on about this oil yep it's all he can think about it's all he can think about but he's he's outraged because he's found out that someone's actually been pinching it this is bonkers because he he was going to do it. He was going to siphon it off, but because somebody's got there before him, he seems to have a bit of an issue with that. Hmm. Calls him a filthy swine. Oh, Tom. That's another MVP that you're not winning, Tom. Yep. Black Mark. It's quite an interesting remark Tom makes here, though, which is, why should we sit around being all good, all fine and good? Which is sort of a common argument you, you actually get more so post-Thatcherism, when she was sort of, there's no such thing as society. In in that you know, particularly in these, this day and age, where bankers and politicians are always on the take, you'll get people who think. And I must admit, I've done it myself in the past. Well, like I can claim this, so I will mm. because so why some other I? some other prick will claim it, so I'm going to yeah. have it. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's not really even as I'm doing it, it doesn't sit always sit no. too well with me. No, no. But most I, most I of us will do it. Most of us. I can't speak for you, but I think a lot of people out there. Their principles will only go so far. And this episode's very much about principles. It is, isn't it? It's sort of choosing the right path, isn't it, this? It's it's about doing the right thing for the for the greater good and for and for things that sit right with you. Because if you've got to you've got to sit with it, you've got to sit with your decision. And if if it's something that you're doing that doesn't kind of sit right long term, mm. you're only affecting your own sort of peace of mind, aren't you? So Barbara is very much thinking Let's not do this because it's only gonna it's gonna bother her. You can tell it's gonna be something that niggles her going forward. Well, I mean the main the main story is about the oil. You've got the sub subtext, which is about Margot, whether she chooses to play sweet charity. Yeah. But you've also got 
the third story about doing the right thing, mm-hmm. I think, which is Margot agreeing to make sacrifices that make her a little bit uncomfortable f- for Jerry because he does a lot mm. for her. Um, maybe in a slight sexist way that I don't know. What do you think that she should feel obliged to titillate him? I is think it right or wrong? Oh, it's a, it's a, oh, it's a hot potato. That isn't it, really. I don't know um, if that's the point they were trying to make, but no, it feels like that. That she needs to do this in order to make him happy. Yeah, it might not be. See, that it might not be what they were trying that to say. Doesn't quite sit right, but um, I think Barbara's commentary on the fact that if you know that your husband likes that and you're happy to do it and it's all within the arena of everyone's all right and everyone's comfortable, then what's the problem? Yes. Yes, perhaps it's it's more about her choosing to... I, I probably I'm reading too much into it. It's probably more about the comedic awkwardness that the character yes. Margot feels rather than any moralistic thing, which is hmm. more about the other two storylines, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. Let us know what you think. <laughs> Maybe we're going too far into it. Then weirdly, Barbara suddenly does an about turn about this oil, doesn't she? She decides that she does want it. <laughs> yeah, but her her sort of her rationale is that we do want it, we can use it, but we just need to ask. We just need to okay it with the person that owns it, and then for her, that would then make it all right to to siphon it off. And I think that's quite a sensible result, isn't it? That if you, as long as you've you've asked, and that what what's the worst that could happen? Mrs. Weaver says no, you can't have it, and then you don't steal it. Mm. You don't, I suppose there's always that Tom, risk. Tom would that, still want to. He'd be like, the, he would do. He'd say, the bitch, and then steal it anyway. <laughs> but I think for Barbara, that this is the sensible option, isn't it? The sensible option is to is to check and then take it. Yes. So that's exactly what happens. They go round to see Margot to get Mrs. Weaver's new phone number and so they can contact yes. her. And this is where they discover that she's moved to Isha. I looked it up. Do you know where it is? No, I don't. It's about. Th- it's only about three miles from Surbiton, but crucially, it's nearer oh. to Epsom. Oh, right. Mm. We know what happens in Epsom. Yeah, we know what Mrs. Weaver's agenda is. <gasps> Pampas grass. Dirty old Thatcher. Digging up that front lawn. The the this scene at the Leadbetters was the palette was very green. It struck me that the, the, in this scene that everything is either. Green or brown or yellow in 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 its tone, um, mm. and I don't know what I'm trying to say about that. It, it was just an observation that everything was just that sort of post-war natural earth colours. Yeah, yeah. It's not Westworld. I'm sure they weren't trying to make some sort of um, some <laughs> point with it. Um, no, foreshadowing it just was. of something, but it just happened yes. to be green. Yeah, Margot um, confides to the goods that she's going to turn down the lead part on principle, it transpires. Oh, and she wishes them well, but hopes it'll be a total disaster as it deserves to be. <laughs> <laughs> Give us with one hand and take it away with the other. Yeah, it's not that magnanimous, that, is it? No, it's not. In the meantime, Tom's gone off to firm Mrs Weaver, I think, while, while Barbara and, and, and Margot have this conversation. And it transpires that Mrs Weaver has agreed that the goods can help themselves to this oil. Hey, good old Mrs. Weaver. It was the right option. She, if she's not taking it with her and it's not been part of the sale of the house, then yeah, hmm. I think the goods should have it. Yes, 
You can take <laughs> take as much oil as you like, she probably said. <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. Gillian Anderson's got nothing on me. <laughs> no, I think I think she's been miscast in the in the crown, to be honest. <laughs> and then Jerry arrives with bad news. Apparently Snetterton's nose is only the real deal. Oh my god. What's gonna happen now? Well, the obvious is gonna happen. Jerry's gonna hit the gin. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he's going to hit Snetterton Well his nose it might fall off But no it's real so it won't He just goes on the <laughs> yeah. ale doesn't he, he's straight. he I think he's actually drinking scotch rather than gin Oh um, my god And the goods leave and then we hear Margot Seductively calling for Jerry Jerry <laughs> Oh dear me Yes she got the stockings Yes, we have to assume that she's in the stockings rather than I just... I think so. Jerry, come and fix this dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, the show ends where Tom and Barbara are, are setting about gathering the oil, only to discover, of course, that the oil wasn't being stolen by a third party. It was just draining away for some reason. It's all in the soil. The soil's just full of oil. Because mm. his, his rotary cultivator's all, all of a sudden stuck. And we see Barbara... <laughs> it's quite... It's quite well done, but she's very, very calmly sinking. She is under the uh, under the soil. She doesn't seem to be overly worried about this, but I'm thinking she's only a little woman. Somebody better it'd be like quicksand. Somebody needs to get her out of there. Exactly, and there were so many public um, information films made in the seventies about sinking sand, and that you had to be very much afraid of it. Mm. That why was she not moving? Why was she not panicking? I'll tell you why. I was panicking watching it. Tell you why she wasn't panicking. No brass tone. No brass tone. If there'd have been a brass tone, I think I might have shit myself. Yeah, and Barbara would have been out and there pronto. There'd have been something to worry about, yeah. Obviously. It'd be quite good in real life if every time, ever, ever there was some clear and present danger, perhaps you weren't aware of it, the brass tone sounded. It'd be good for most of us, not for you, because you'd end up having a coronary. <laughs> yeah, if there's some kind of panic going on, mild, mild peril, and there's a brass tone, I'd know. I'd, I'd quite like that though. Yeah, you know I, where you I stand. Like clear, clear instructions. That's that's how I I like my life. Black and white. That's what we need. Mm-hmm. So this is a mild laugh as we see Barbara sinking, but of course this is going to have serious repercussions for the goods if their soil is spoiled. Mm. I think this it carries on this this storyline, doesn't it, to the next episode about the oily soil? Mm, I think so. I think so. Mm. And I can't remember what happened in the next episode, which is called um, anniversary. I can't remember anything about it, to be honest with you, can no. you? No, I can't. And I don't want to look because it's the last one. Yes, well, last one of the main series. I'm now going to spend the next week worried about poor Tom and Barbara's soil. So I might I have to watch it immediately after watch this record. It. Yeah, and, and make you feel make you feel better. Yeah, I tend to agree. This, this was quite a Margot-centric episode, I thought. Yes, on her ideas and thoughts and mm. beliefs. Yeah, and it occurred to me that Esmond and Larby subsequently said that they were running out of self-sustainability ideas, but if they'd carried on into a fifth season, perhaps they could have just focused more on the situations that the Leadbetters get in and focused more on Jerry's challenges in the workplace and Margot's contretemps with all of those various invisible characters where maybe we would have even seen some of them. Do you think they they sort of realised there were still legs in the series, but with regards to the Leadbetters, 
Yeah, but I don't think they did regret it because when you see the interviews with with Bob Larby, he just seems to, mm. to say how glad he was that they got the opportunity to finish it on their terms and that they okay. were they were ready. I mean, they were sitcom machines, weren't they? They cranked out so many other classics after that. Yeah, a, a few that weren't a little bit mediocre, perhaps, but still, mm. some, some other brilliant shows like Ever Decreasing Circles is much yeah. underrated and Brushstrokes is great and I've been watching Mulberry um, with Carl Ham and I really like that I think it's a lovely lovely show really mm. heartwarming one of those shows that make you feel all lovely and warm inside oh so I think they were quite forward looking really yeah I do part of me though wishes that I'd seen more of the Ledbetter's story moving forward like you just mentioned there about yeah. Jerry getting the job um, and Margot's sort of exploits I do. I do feel like I've missed out. Yeah. Spin-offs never. Well, that's not true. Spin-offs occasionally work, and some spin-offs are uh, unfairly maligned. Like going straight was quite good fun if you watch it. It's just not yeah. porridge. It's just not as good as porridge. Exactly. But it, was a, it was a exactly. good show. If you are pinning it on, if you're pinning it on the success of what you've just watched, um, I think you can sometimes you can set the bar a bit too high, and some mm. some exceed that bar, don't they? But others, like you say. It, it never quite reaches the same. Yeah, that's fair. Levels. Mm. I was um, listening to the excellent sitcom club this week, another podcast, mm. which yeah is uh, a lot more technical than ours. They're very knowledgeable guys. Unlike us, we just dick about. Um, yeah, and they were talking about how I think at the beginning of the podcast episode I listened to, they were they had a quiz question, which is which of these shows had a potential spin-off. Well, which of these shows could have carried on without its main character? And okay. It, and it was a story I'd not heard before about how in Only Fools and Horses, if Del Boy had taken, uh, what's his name, Jumbo Harris's offer to go and work in Australia in that episode. Right. Then there was going to be a spin-off based on Rodney with Rodney and Albert and Mickey Pierce running the company. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that wouldn't have worked. But... Um, it was like there was going to be an option for David Jason to come back, but as it transpired, that it just carried on. I think there was a break at that point, and then they came back a few years later. Oh wow! And would 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 that be without Del Boy's story? So Del Boy would have gone, and you'd you'd see him briefly mentioned, but not seen. Yeah, he would have basically at the oh, end at the okay. end of that "Who Wants to Be a Millionaire" story, he would have gone off with with is it Jumbo Harris? Was it that name rings a bell? Monkey Harris and Jumbo. Somebody, I don't know. This is why the sitcom club get more listeners than we do because they do their research and they know all this. They shit. do research, jumbos yeah. and, and monkeys. Shall we move on and do the fashion corner? Let's head over to fashion corner, definitely. Fashion corner, fashion corner, fashion corner, fashion corner. So we've got quite a Margot-centric fashion corner, as per usual. Um, in the opening scenes, we see Margot in it's like a navy dress with large with a large white flower, as we see quite often. Pearls, long sleeves, and a slashed back. She 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 just looks like she's been about town. She suits navy. I know navy's quite a quite a plain a plain colour really, but I do find that Penelope Keith as Margot really really does suit navy. In this scene as well, we also see Barbara's comfy cardigan, which I think is worthy of a mention, despite not being up in the echelons of Fashion Corner, but. But still, she, she, as we've said before, Barbara does tend to just rock whatever she puts on, um, mm. whether it's dungarees, comfy cardigans, the tabard part of a, of a disjointed jumper. Um, she just looks 
beautiful and stylish regardless. In this um, last what, series of The Good Life as well, she rocks this sort of Victorian urchin look a lot, doesn't she? She does. In fact, I'm, I'm going to mention her hat. She's got like a Baker Boy hat that she wears quite often. The one that she wears where she gets called Sunny, I think. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. And it does, because she's quite diminutive and, and, and wee, when she's got these things on, she, she does have the appearance of a little boy every so often and I think this was one of the occasions Jerry's swirly circle tie made a reappearance it's, it's my favourite one that he's got like just circles like decre- ever decreasing circles almost of, of, little, of little sort of swirly patterns which I do love Margot in this scene is in a pink now I don't know whether Margot would call it a dressing gown or a house coat. I'm not sure which one yeah, is would, is middle class. I think I, I, I don't know if house coat's more working class. I don't know. You've also got robe. Do you think she might call it a robe? A robe. I think it would be a robe, which sounds more grand than mm. a dressing gown or a house coat. Uh, but it's got pink flowers and massive sleeves, and she's it's for swanning around your house in. I think a robe. I think she would she would take the idea that it, it was a robe. Later on, in the scene that I referred to as being very green earlier on, she's, she emerges in like an emerald green suit and a green plush hat with a navy blouse and a brooch and necklace. Um, she looks very... Green. She's very suave and green. Yes, she does. <laughs> but the colour the colour of green that she's got, I don't know whether this, this kind of thing existed in the 70s, but there's a thing where you get your colours done and I know there's quite a lot of women and men that would have their colours done where you go and someone tells you what colours you suit using whether you are a cool colour, a cool shade or whether you're a, um, a warm warm shade and, and they, they decide for you and you get a book, a book at the end of like a swatch of all your your colours that are supposed to suit you and I, I can just see that being up Margot streets that she would um, have had her colours done and it seems that all the colours that she does wear are things that really suit her, mm. either as the actress or as the um, character. But she definitely, in this scene, the, the, the green, the emerald green that she's got on is definitely her colour. Ooh, I like Richard Briers. I like Richard Briers. I like Richard Briers. I like Richard Briers. Good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life. For the benefit of listeners, we just had to pause the podcast while Alice's, <laughs> Alice's shopping arrived. And I, I was listening to you out to the door and I was expecting you to go full Margot on him. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> you I, were I was, really nice was, to him, weren't you? I was. I did, I, yeah. You were like, what time are you on, Till? It's like he's a taxi driver. <laughs> Have you been busy? I thought oh. you were going to say there was a time when a... Time promised was a time honoured in this country because he turned up early. <laughs> he is, he's about 40 minutes early. Better early than late. It is. I know. We could be sat here starving, but well, we're not. At least you know I that you're um, very grateful. Christmas hampers turned up in time. You don't have to go to the I know. Clubs. Exactly. I don't have to put a paper hat on and go anywhere else, so it's all all right. I was going to ask you. Yes. When Penelope Keith went on to play Audrey in To the Manor Born, did she still wear fabulous outfits all the time? Because I just have no memory, really. Do you? Of the ones that I've watched, she's more more conservative in her dress. And I know, I know that seems quite an odd thing to say about Margot, because Margot is like the ultimate in, in female conservatives, perhaps. Um, Small C, less, big C, though, isn't it? 
less showy, perhaps, as Audrey. Um, more conservative, more smart, less less dressing for effect. And I, do you know what I mean? Margot seemed to not only dress for herself, but she dressed for other people to look and admire and comment and critique because what she wore, I think, gave the air of wealth and fashion sense and that was important that's important to Margot. Is it the case that Audrey is comfortable with the fact that she is upper class whereas Margot aspires to it? Uh, yeah, it's almost like the the clothing Margot's clothing is like um a an indication she she sees it as an indicator of of where she sits within within society whereas Audrey I think if you if you are part of the upper class are you bothered do you, there's there's lots of scruffy scruffy people in upper classes oh yeah our prime yeah. minister for, our prime minister for example in the uk um dresses like a scarecrow <laughs> despite the fact Just, that he? he he's from the 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 real upper upper levels of of society because it doesn't matter i think um, perhaps you, you get to the stage where you, it's it's unimportant you can give the illusion of 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 being part of um a certain class without having to yeah stick to stick to sort of those indicators too heavily perhaps yeah i think so and audrey audrey, audrey was a bit older as well perhaps oh yeah well. i suppose so, she was a little so bit so with yeah. with maturity does does it does that come that you that you sort of don't care as much and she had don't feel bit, better pressure? things to worry about because peter bowles was squatting in her mansion <laughs> yes that is a worry yeah um, did you pick out an MVP in this episode of The Good Life? I did. Uh, my MVP in this episode was Barbara. Ooh, we don't get many Barbara MVPs, do we? We don't, but it was for the for the oil moral stance that she took. Mm. Of of we can't just take it, and I think she was happy once she'd come to, come round to the idea that once we've checked with Mrs. Weaver, it's it's up for grabs. She okayed that in her own head and I think that was the the right way to do it if she'd have stolen it she, she it wouldn't have sat right I don't think with Barbara mm. so I liked the, the moral compass of Barbara in this episode yeah I actually hadn't given it any thought on this to this point about who my MVP would be but I suppose okay. you're right it can't really be anyone but Barbara mm. because I suppose it could be Margot because she takes a stand yeah, yeah. Um, but probably Barbara's a good shout so I'm going to give it to Barbara as well because I'm lazy and you did you did the thinking for me that's okay. We can we can share the glory on this one. Yeah. So so as we mentioned earlier on in the podcast, next week's episode is the final of series four, and it's called Anniversary. And we don't remember a thing about it, do we? No, I think there is more oil-based um, drama in the garden. Yeah. This episode, I think there is, and, and I, I remember something about Geraldine and milk. She's she's not producing milk, which is also a concern. Well, I'm just on tenterhooks. I'm going to have to go watch it now. <laughs> yes, go and watch it now. So if you've got to this stage with us and you're still enjoying what we're doing um, and you want to follow us on social media, um, check out at Saddle Podcast on Twitter and Instagram where we post rare videos and all sorts of bits and pieces. On the Facebook page, you can find us by searching Saddle Podcast. Subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, saddle.club. Uh, we can also get more information about us, read the blog, listen to episodes if you don't do podcast apps. Get in touch with us by email at saddlepodcast at gmail.com and tell us about all the things that you've enjoyed or that we've missed. 
and subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks to Anya for her wonderful Good Life um, caricatures that she did for us. We've got a couple of new ones now that you should be able to see up on the website and on social media. And we'll probably have some merch in, in, in oh, before spring that you can buy. Oh, that was a vague statement. Oh, yeah. oi, oi. Before spring, we're going to have some merch that you can buy. Mugs and T-shirts and pap like that. <laughs> so get your wallets out. Because if that wasn't a striking value proposition, I don't know what is. <laughs> thanks again to Beat Raid for our theme tune, which we love. And thanks to you for listening. Thanks so much and we'll see you next time. It's nice to see you. See you. Nice. Goodbye.